This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, July 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... I think more than anything else, this is a reminder to all of us that this virus is very contagious. It is out in every one of our communities, and that's why it's extremely important that all of us pay attention As health officials manage a potential outbreak at the Capitol, the governor assigns blame for the rising cases to protests in early June. Then he's been selected to lead the reform in Mississippi's prison system, a conversation with the new commissioner of corrections. Plus, meet Jen White, the new voice of 1A. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Coronavirus cases in Mississippi are rising at an unprecedented pace for the state, cueing more words of caution and concern from state officials. This comes as multiple members of the Mississippi House of Representatives have tested positive for the disease, including House Speaker Philip Gunn. Gunn, who attended a signing ceremony for the flag bill at the governor's mansion last week, says he's now isolating for the recommended 14 days. This visit to the mansion has also prompted Governor Tate Reeves to quarantine while he and his family await test results. In a Facebook Live video yesterday, Reeves says the scare at the Capitol is a reminder of how contagious the virus can be. I think more than anything else, this is a reminder to all of us that this virus is very contagious. It is out in every one of our communities, and that's why it's extremely important that all of us pay attention, uh, that we act smart, that we do the little things, as Dr. Dobbs has said repeatedly, that, uh, that we make sure that we don't get in large gatherings for social reasons, uh, that we uh, go to work, that we go to the grocery store and wear a mask, and then we spend as much time as possible uh, at home making sure that we're protecting ourselves and protecting our neighbors. Reeves also used part of the nearly 15-minute video to reiterate his message that protests in early June are at least partly to blame for the recent rise in cases. Reeves initially made the suggestion in a Twitter post Sunday. Yesterday, he continued to push that narrative. Uh, I actually uh, was flipping through uh, some of the cable news outlets, um, and I I heard uh, a large number of of individuals, and and it just is something that's really bothered me, Uh, over the last several weeks as our number of cases rise. Um, This notion that all of these increase in cases were due to some barbecues held by families uh, during the Memorial Day weekend. Now keep in mind, I am in no way arguing that you should do more and more barbecues, but with this weekend being July 4th, I know that there were more of those and there were more people on cable news networks talking about how these families uh, in uh, certain states shouldn't be having those barbecues. My point to you is this, we don't think that individuals ought to gather for social purposes in large groups. That is not smart. But it's also very frustrating to me that those in the national media particularly completely 
write off the fact that late in the month of May, early in the month of June, approximately 10 to 14 days before we started having such a huge increase in cases, we literally had thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals marching in protest in virtually every city around this country. Now there are those in the national media who would have you believe that that had absolutely no impact on the rising number of cases. I would submit to you that common sense says otherwise. And I think as we look back, we'll be proven that that is the case. Reeves' position on the matter runs contrary to that of the state health officer. During their last joint press conference last week, Dr. Thomas Dobbs responded to questions about a potential link between high cases and protests by saying the data doesn't support it. You know, we don't we don't have any evidence to that effect, and what what our investigations have revealed have 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 not revealed any specific links to protests, right? Um, Data's continue to come in. Maybe it will in the future as we dig in more. Um, it's a question that we are very interested in, in asking. Um, but what we are seeing is our population centers are having increases in cases, right? It's because it's in the communities where there are a lot of people. DeSoto County, Hines County. We're seeing increases in Rankin County, uh, Harrison County on the coast. So the trend now seems to be a lot in populated areas, which seems to reflect where the people are and where people are congregating, that's where we're going to have a lot of challenges. But we'll continue to look into the protest issue, and if we find some associations, we'll be certain to let you all know. The comments drew reaction from lawmakers, especially black lawmakers, who hoped the state could move forward following the decision to change the flag. Derek Simmons of Greenville is the Senate Minority Leader, and he told our Kobe Vance the comments were disturbing. It was very disturbing. Uh, I don't think the governor or anyone else can for certain blame the increased number of COVID-19 cases on protests around the nation or in Mississippi. Uh, there are numerous reasons why an increase would occur. As more people return to work, they resume outdoor activities, and most states open up again after being shut down as a preventive measure. Um, if you recall, the governor's safer-to-return order was on May the 27th. Uh, two days prior to the safer-to-return, George Floyd's uh, death was on May the 25th. So uh, the end of May and the entire month of June, you had Mississippians getting back to their uh, normal way of life. And so what do you think this message from Governor Reeves means for the people of Mississippi? I just think that, I mean, Governor Reeves, uh, we just need to move into a direction where uh, we all could uh, be resilient and bounce back from this pandemic. But what we need is leadership from the governor, and we need uniform guidelines and policies that would uh, uh, be uh, something that that, uh, counties and cities could actually go by, as opposed to right now counties and cities are making decisions as they go because there is no uniform uh, policy from the state. So do you think a like mandatory masks for all Mississippians would be a good idea? I think we should do that right away. Mandatory masks. I mean, we are a week or two weeks behind from having mandatory masks statewide. We should we that should already be in place. And so, do you think that it would be better for Mississippians to see leaders following that mask wearing guidance um, as the, as they you know be the face of the public? I, I, I do. Uh, uh, Mississippians, they look to their leaders to lead uh, and not to follow. So we need to certainly send the message and uh, make it apparently clear that we are wearing masks if we're going to tell Mississippians to wear masks. 
and do you think that this this message uh, calling out protests specifically is also a, another attack on uh, black Mississippians? It, it was my hope, Kobe, that uh, based upon the message that we heard uh, from the governor about moving this state forward and being one Mississippi, that we would not return so soon with divisive rhetoric uh, that we saw in this recent tweet. And so it's very, very disheartening uh, if we're going to move uh, to a Mississippi that he says that he wants to, uh, to Mississippi to become and be the governor for all Mississippians, that we wouldn't get divisive tweets or we wouldn't get uh, any type of rhetoric from him that, that, that seeks to divide us. Reeves also took aim at the media during his Facebook address, suggesting a lack of media coverage during the month of June gave residents a false impression the virus was no longer a threat. What I also want you to know is that the fact that the press and the news went weeks and weeks without even talking about the coronavirus, but instead focused on other things happening in this country, also allowed for a lot of people to put their guard down. In fact, not only did they put their guard down because they weren't hearing about it, in many instances, it was the hypocrisy of the media saying we shouldn't be doing certain things but these large protests are okay because, oh, it's okay because we believe uh, in their political ideology. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And so people really were then choosing to just give up give up on this whole coronavirus thing. That's the reason so many people have said it's a hoax. My friends, I'm here to tell you, the virus is not a hoax. I hate that we find ourselves in the position that we're in. I hate that there is no no understanding and desire to continue to fight uh, this virus so that we can protect ourselves and protect our, our neighbors. But that is what we have to do. We have to forget about all of those people from the outside telling us one thing and understand that we as Mississippians can help protect ourselves and we can help protect our neighbors. That's what I'm committed to doing. And my friends, I hope that's what you're committed to doing. Stay up to date with the latest in coronavirus-related news by visiting mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. And Governor Reeves just tweeted out that he and his family have all tested negative for COVID-19. Coming up, he's been selected to lead the reform in Mississippi's prison system, a conversation with the new Commissioner of Corrections. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In late May, Tate Reeves nominated former Angola State Prison Warden Burl Kane for the position of Commissioner of Corrections. Kane, who has fought against past allegations of impropriety, was confirmed by the Senate last month. In part one of our two-part conversation, the new MDOC commissioner joins our Desiree Frazier to discuss those allegations and his vision for reform. I have. All those allegations were unfounded. And... Uh... And I was investigated thoroughly with three different investigations. And so 
when the dust cleared, there was nothing wrong. There were no ethics violations. It was all unfounded, no laws broken, and uh, I was cleared totally. During your time there, were there anything that you look back on that you perceive as may have been misinterpreted as mistakes that may have given an impression of impropriety? No, I can tell you what the problem is. I came from the private sector. I was not a bureaucrat, had never worked for the government till I was 35 years old and brought an entrepreneurial spirit. Many times, if you do things differently, people think there's something wrong because we were very creative. I started a museum at Angola. I started, expanded the rodeo, quadrupled it, brought it from $100,000 a year to $4 million. I built seven churches, and people think, well, he's getting something. Somebody, he must be something wrong because they just do that. And so what happened was when we did so much so fast and moved it so far, then therefore you come under scrutiny because, oh, something's got to be wrong. The point is it wasn't wrong. The Chapel Foundation, for instance, was investigated about seeing, did, did I get anything? Absolutely not. So all those things were investigated and found to be untrue. Now, if you're a state employee and you don't do anything and you're not creative, then you just go under radar and nobody ever does anything to you. So it discourages state employees from being entrepreneurial because it brings attention to them. And the reporters love to jump on state employees entrepreneurial if they can. So that's what the whole problem was, because if I'd just not done anything, then nothing would ever be investigated. What so was the issue? I, it. I think it's great. I love everything happened because it was all unfounded, and people found me to be what I said I was. What was the issue with the chapel? What was the issue? Mm-hmm. The issue with the chapel was is I built seven chapels, and, it, and then I helped build the ones in the other prisons, but I could raise money, and they couldn't. And so people would do it. I raised over $4 million from the private sector for Angola. That's how I built the rodeo arena. And so they think, well, where's all this money coming from? Well, it's coming from the private sector. And what what they don't realize is you have to have really good accounting. You have to account for every dollar because it's a private dollar. And so by doing that and covering all the bases and doing it correctly, then it's good. It's wonderful. So that's what they found. And speaking about the chapels and the religious um, component of what you did at Angola, are you going to bring that to Mississippi State Prisons? I have already founded, worked with a gentleman to start the Mississippi Prison Chapel Foundation, David McNair. I gave the first $500 so that we would have something to start with. He gave the next 500 that's 1000 to pay for the nonprofit status. And he's already met with the folks in Louisiana that, that headed up the nonprofit that ran the Prison Chapel Foundation. So, yes, we're going to do it here in Mississippi. What will that look like? Give folks an idea of what that means. That means there's going to be a chapel inside the fence, not outside the fence like the one is now. Because how can inmates go to a chapel outside the prison fence? That's about stupid. So it's going to be inside the fence so they can have access to it. It's going to be safe and it's going to be good and it's going to be an island of freedom inside the prison they'll migrate to because it's not the state's house, it's God's house. So they're free when they go in a chapel. And that's how we're going, to, we're going to tell them. They're going to realize that. But we have to have, it's just simple, moral people don't steal your lawnmower. If we're going to change people's lives, we have to bring about morality, moral rehabilitation. 
we don't care about religion. We care about morality. Now, we really do care about religion, but we can't say that. We really don't because we're going to keep the separation of church and state and be legal. And that's what the seminary provided. It provided all these guys who were morally, you know, convicted to do the to do the right thing, but they never were able to to spread it out like you would if you sent a missionary to a foreign land. What about workforce development? Here's the deal. You can have all the morality in the world, but if you don't have a job, if you not don't have a job skill and you're going to sweep floors, you're not going to get a job. But if you have a job skill where you can repair a car engine, where you can fix an air conditioner in a home, where you do something really beneficial, everybody in the world wants to hire you. So we have to move forward to get these guys employed. Now, here's our greatest resource that no one has tapped. The greatest resource is the other prisoners, because especially the ones with long terms. They're sitting here wasting away, but many of those are skilled tradesmen. So why not do what we did in Louisiana, let those guys become the teachers, because all you have to do is get the certification. If you're going to be a welder, get him certified with five different kinds of welding, he gets out, he's going to get hired at the shipyard in a minute with a high-paying job. So that's what we have to do. Do you have enough funding to make that happen? I don't have to have much funding because I have those those inmates already in prison. They're already here. They're going to be happy to get it, to get out and work. All I'm going to have to have is have the tools to work with. And if I have to, I'll get those donated. And part two of our conversation tomorrow... I want to keep Parchment open because if we close it, then the state of Mississippi fails. It's not, it's not what we can't fix. You can't walk away from something and fail. Failure is not an option. Coming up, meet Jen White, the new voice of 1A. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, You can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. If you listen to MPB Think Radio in the evenings, you might have noticed a new voice on the WAMU produced 1A yesterday. That voice belongs to Jen White, and she's taking over full-time hosting duties following Joshua Johnson's move to cable news. So, who is Jen White? We learn more about the new host in a conversation with our Michael Guidry. Jen White is a native Detroiter, uh, most recently um, from Chicago, I've worked in public media since 1999, and uh, yeah, I'm the new host of 1A. So over 20 years in public media, why? Why work in public media? You know, I fell in love with public radio when I was a teenager. My sister introduced me to Car Talk. That was my, my gateway show, and I just really appreciated the way radio highlights the power of the human voice. Um, the intimacy of the medium is something that appealed to me, and I've never fallen out of love with it, and so it made sense to spend my career here. In Mississippi, uh, you'll be a new voice, but you'll be a part of a, uh, a, a nationally known program that we carry here at, at MPB Think Radio. What has your experience been well, um, you know, from Detroit to Chicago working with WBEZ? What has your role been in, in presenting news and content in public media? 
So I started off uh, in radio, but I, I worked in radio and public television. My first, what I consider my first you know, real on-air job was as uh, the local anchor of All Things Considered at Michigan Radio. Um, I did that job for several years, and then I made the transition to WBEZ. At that point, I worked on podcasts, Making Oprah, Making Obama, 16 Shots, the police shooting of Laquan McDonald, and eventually took over their midday program, well, their morning program, first morning shift, and then launched a new midday program, Reset, uh, which was a, a midday public affairs program, two hours each weekday. So now making the transition to another two-hour show, um, but this time at, at the national level, um, much of the work is familiar. It, it's just a, a larger platform. You've spent a lot of time in Chicago, and uh, as the COVID-19 crisis uh, has has you know spread across the country, uh, we've seen the you know, disproportionate effect on, on communities of color. And now within the last month, we've seen the the protest against systemic racism. What role as a, as a public media journalist do you hope to, to play as those conversations continue and you take up the role as, as the host of 1A? Well, what I w- hope we can do at 1A is be a convener for some of the difficult, um, uncomfortable, but very necessary conversations, not just about where we go from here, but how we got here in the first place. There are so many policies um, that, that we've lived under for, for decades that are, are racist at, at their roots. You think about ho- housing policies, for instance, and, and how those policies were shaped in a way to specifically prevent African-American people from accessing financing so that they could buy homes. Um, it prevented them from living in, in certain neighborhoods. And we still see the results of that um, in segregation and the way we live today. So I'm hoping that on 1A we can be a place where people can better understand that history so we can make better decisions going forward. Uh, with all the challenges that our nation's facing, um, and, and based on your experience in public media, uh, what do you hope, outside of 1A, but as, as, a, as a member of public media and as an advocate for public media, uh, what, do you, what do you want to see the public media community do uh, during this time where we're witnessing great change? And I speak on that because here in Mississippi we've seen, at least in part, uh, the wave of, of the voices that are, that are coming out lead to some change with the, the retiring of our 1894 flag. So what role do you hope that public media, media in general, can play as these voices continue to be heard across, uh, across America? Well, I hope, again, that we can, we can be a place where we convene these conversations. But I think we in public media also need to pay attention to which voices we are um, we're, we're giving a, a seat at the table. I don't think we've always done a good job of bringing diverse voices into the conversation. I don't think we've always done a good job of listening to communities and, and really, you know, talking with them, uh, not just at them. And I think that's something that we, we can do a lot, a lot better. And I'm hoping that here at 1A, and it's something we already do, you know, bringing more diverse voices into this conversation and reaching out to a wider swath of listeners so that the listener voices you hear on the show, whether people are tweeting us or, or sending us Facebook messages or leaving us voice memos or texting us, that those voices are truly reflective of the nation as a whole. 
Jen White, what else would you like our listeners to know about you as you become the voice of 1A? I want them to know that I want to hear from them. I want to hear from you. I want you to be a part of this conversation. If you've listened, and that's great. We love that you listen. Um, I also want you to be in this moment with us as a participant in this conversation, to share your stories, to share your thoughts, to share your ideas, to share your concerns. That's an important part of, of what we want to do on this show is making sure we're talking to one another and you have a really important role to play in this show. So tune in, but also lean in and talk back to us. Jen White is the new host of 1A, which you can hear right here on MPB Think Radio. Jen, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hearing you. Michael, it was my pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.